Okay, well, good morning. We are talking about parenting, and today's section on parenting really is unique in that you don't necessarily have to be a parent to benefit from the lessons that we're going to be covering today called the parent's trauma. So we had started out weeks ago, and I informed you that really before you can understand what it means to be uh, successful in parenting, you need to understand what it means to be successful as a parent, that that is more important than anything else you can do. It's what you can be, who you should be, who you need to be in Christ. And so we've talked about the parent's condition, which included the spiritual, the emotional, the relational side that uh, we have with God, with our spouse, with our children, how that should look. But today, we need to understand that there are a lot of um, traumatic events that if they go unchecked in our lives, can cause a lot of damage to our family, to those we love most. And we're going to talk about these different traumas and how they play out in raising children. Now, as I said, though, it's not just about children. It could also play out in how we, how we deal with people, interact with people in the workplace, in, in our church family, how we interact with our spouse. But since we're talking about parenting, I'm going to direct it specifically to what it would look like with children in our lives. It doesn't have to just be our children. It could be our nieces, nephews, could be our grandchildren, could be students that we teach at school or in a life group here at the church. So let's begin with the first one, the parents' trauma, parents who feel overwhelmed. You say, well, is, is being overwhelmed really a traumatic event? Well, it can. Well, let's consider this. Trauma is something that affects your emotional, uh, something that affects your even spiritual, even physical, how you feel, something that can change part of who you are, part of how you think. And I got to tell you, if you are constantly overwhelmed, another term for that would be stressed, constantly stressed. If you are consciously uh, feeling anxious, you better believe there's going to be some, some trauma involved in, in how it triggers your brain, how it triggers how you think and how you deal with people if you are constantly under stress. I was uh, speaking with someone one time, and they, it was obvious that they were stressed, very obvious. And they had mentioned, well, isn't that just life? Aren't you just stressed all the time? I said, well, that's not how it should be. <laughs> One of two things needs to happen. Either you need to grow in your strength and ability to handle stress, because stress is essentially the pressures of life. So either you grow stronger so you can handle more pressures now, and so the stress doesn't affect you, doesn't traumatize you as much, or you've got to step back and let some things go. I mean, those are really the only two proper responses. People who think that it is natural to always be under Pressure that affects you negatively, constant stress, uh, I'm concerned for their health, physical health, emotional health, spiritual health. It's going to mess you up. It's going to traumatize you. So if you are always feeling overwhelmed as a parent, if you're always feeling overwhelmed uh, in over your head, if you're always feeling like uh, you don't know what to do or how to handle things, there's too much going on in your life, what is going to be your response? Well, I'm not going to say it will look the same for everyone, but I said we'll often check out. I mean, they'll just go home, and this person that's overwhelmed, they're the one that's going to go home and tell the kids, go to your room, and, like, I don't want to see you the rest of the day. And they'll do, like, every day. I'm not saying there aren't times where you shouldn't have children, hey, go hang out, go outside, go play. I need to, you know, decompress. But if your response around your children or children in general or people in general is always, hey, I need alone time, that's like what you're always saying, chances are pretty high you're overwhelmed. That essentially 
Life itself has taken so much from you, you have nothing left to give to the people in your life. Now let's consider, what matters more? Who matters more, the people or the things that are taking all your energy? Now you may say, well, these things that I'm doing, I'm doing for the people. I'm working 10 hours a day. I'm working 12 hours a day for the people in my life. I get that. We're actually going to talk about that this morning uh, in, the, in the message, and I'll mention briefly this morning what I'm going to mention to you now, and that is I understand that there, we work hard so that we can do more and offer more for our family, but there is a line that needs to be drawn, and, we, and how do you know when you cross that line? You've crossed that line when you work so hard, get so overwhelmed by doing things for people that you don't have time for the people you're doing things on, on for. That's when you've crossed the line. That's when you know you've gone too far. There's a phrase called workaholic. Men are more notorious for being defined as a workaholic, in my opinion, than women. That, that phrase workaholic isn't really uh, defined so tightly that there's a certain amount of hours uh, relegated to that. So, you know, is 40 hours workaholic? Is 50 hours workaholic? Are we talking 60, 80, 90 hours workaholic? I mean, above 90, I mean, are you even sleeping at that point, right? So at what point from 40 to 90 hours are you a workaholic? I think that it's less of an amount of hours and it's more of when you've checked out of the relationships with people because you work so much and now don't have the time, energy, emotional stamina to invest in the people, then your work is more important than the people, and you are now a workaholic. And that time will not look the same for everyone. Now, turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, who are we talking to? Literally someone who's just feeling overwhelmed, stressed. The pressures of life are crushing them. God says, come unto me, those of you who are crushed by the pressures of life. Come unto me, those of you who are overwhelmed, heavy laden, heavy burdened. And he said, I will give you rest because that is what you need, right? That's essentially every day you go home. That's why you're sending people out of the room. That's why you go and sit outside by yourself. That's why, dare I say it, you don't go home. There are some men, some women, who would literally rather deal with the pressures of work than invest in the people in their life. Why? Because it's easier to work with inanimate objects than it is to work on relationships of people. When you're stressed, when you have pressure on your life, you can still get work done. You can still do paperwork even with pressure. You know what's really hard? To deal with whining children when you're pressured when you're overwhelmed. You know it's really hard? To listen to people in your family who are hurt. Why? Because you're just overwhelmed. You don't have the patience to listen. You would literally rather spend three more hours at work and pray that when you get home, your kids are asleep. You'd rather spend four more hours at work and pray when you get home, your spouse is on the couch, pretty much checked out herself or himself, and you're just going to go home and also check out. You'll be checked out together. You're actually working longer now because you feel so overwhelmed, you can't deal with people, so you'll stay at work, and you justify it as, well, I'm doing it for the family. You justify it as, I'm bringing in more money for the family. No, but the truth is, you're overwhelmed, and you can't deal with the family, so you stay at work. You're overwhelmed. 
And God says in Matthew, when you're at that point, don't just keep working more. Don't check out of the relationships that should matter to you most. When you are overwhelmed, God says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So what is he saying? You know, a lot of people think, how do I go to God? How do I rest in the Lord? How do I give him my burden? He actually tells us right here, verse 29, learn of me. He gives you the answer. He says, reconnect with me. If you are finding it difficult to reconnect or connect with people, and you just don't know where to go and how to take that step, I'm going to give you the answer right now. Reconnect with God, the creator of humanity, the creator of people, the lover of your spouse and of your children, loves them way more than you do. Reconnect with him, and your best chance of reconnecting with them is achieved through him. Not only that, that feeling of pressure and being overwhelmed can be taken better by no one than God. He says, I'm meek and lowly of heart. You shall find rest, and here's the really great one, in your souls. Because here's the, here's the truth. If you're overwhelmed, you go home, you watch a TV show, you watch a movie, you rest, you read a book, you physically are able to get up and do it all over again the next day, physically. But that's not really where the pressure is affecting you most, is it? Mostly the pressure is affecting your soul, your spirit, your, your emotions. And yes, your body is rejuvenated, regenerated to do what has to be done every day over and again. But you are constantly under emotional pressure. And God says, I want to give your soul rest. I want to eliminate not necessarily the work, but I want to eliminate the pressure from that. So you can reconnect with God and in turn, I believe, reconnect with the people in your life. If you walked in after I started, I do have these handouts in the back. If you don't have one from a free previous week, you're welcome to get them. We're talking about how to be better parents to the children in our life. And the best way to be a better parent is to deal with the trauma in your life, those things that are, are affecting you emotionally and spiritually and keeping you from being successful in your parenting. All right, let's look at the second one. It's the bottom, at the bottom of this page, parents who feel hurt will often lash out and hurt their family. There are a lot of parents, moms and dads, maybe even in this room, who are hurt. And you know what's really unfortunate? That hurt is happening in your own home. Your spouse is hurting you. Your children are hurting you. You are hurting yourself. I mean, it's bad enough when the world hurts you. It's really bad when your home is hurting you. <laughs> and so this pain that you're feeling unchecked, unresolved, will only result in duplication. You will now return the pain upon those you love most. You will hurt them. Because that's what hurt people do. Hurt people will hurt other people. And if you are a parent who is hurting, then I can tell you right now, you are not the best parent that you can be. If you are a parent or a spouse, for that matter, living in pain... You are not giving to your children or your spouse the best that you can offer. You can give them more. You can give them better purely by eliminating the pain, by eliminating the hurt. And you say, well, Russ, that doesn't seem feasible. I've been hurting so long, I'm not sure what it feels like to not be hurting. I don't know what it looks like to not be in pain. That's unfortunate if that's how you feel. 
there is an answer. In fact, if you were at the picnic, I addressed that on a much larger scale. If your pain is due to your own choices, your own sin, the answer is repentance. Repentance means recognizing you have messed up. It has, it has hurt God. You recognize it has hurt you. you. You ask God for forgiveness, and you move away from the sin to God. That's repentance. Not just moving away from the sin to another sin or something else, moving away from the sin to God. Repentance. You know, this idea of you just need to forgive yourself, where is that in the Bible? You have no authority to forgive yourself. You're not the judge. You're the victim of your own crime. (laughs) You're the victim of your own sin, yes, but you're not the judge. God's the judge. You cannot forgive yourself. If you want to be released from the pain of your life, of your own sins, the only one that has the authority to do that is God. And so if your trauma in your life is affecting your ability to be a parent to the children in your life, affecting your ability to to be uh, the lover of your your spouse, if your trauma is affecting you and it's it's being caused by pain, and that pain is is caused by your own bad choices, the answer is repentance. If that pain is being caused... By the choices of others, people have hurt you. People are hurting you. You were hurt when you were five. You were hurt when you were 15. You were hurt for a year, three years, from 16 to 19. You are still being hurt by the same person, by new people, by a different person every day. Pain in whatever form caused by other people. There is one big response to it, and I'll give you some others. The first one is this, forgiveness. Before anything else, forgiveness. There are other ways to handle people who have hurt you, but if you do not forgive them, the other ways, at best, can only keep them from continuing to hurt you. At best. Everything else you do cannot fix the pain already done to you. There's only one thing that can fix the pain already done to you, and that is forgiveness. That does not mean it's okay what they did to you. It does not mean you overlook what they did to you. It means you gave what was given to you to God, and you say, God, it's in your hands. I trust you to deal with them as you see fit. You take care of the problem, God. I'm done with it. I don't want to take care of this problem. I don't want vengeance. I don't want repercussions. I don't want, as far as me uh, personally attacking them, I'm not interested, God. Whatever judgment you bring on their life, that's your authority. That's forgiveness, and you move on. Now, how do you remedy the pain that they're going to keep causing you? Well, that is maybe you just need to get them out of your life. You say, I can't. They're family. Look, you can even have family at a distance. There are ways. I'm not going to go into all that could look today, but there are ways to even keep your family at a distance. And so maybe you need to eliminate that relationship altogether or at least limit it so that this person does not have access, open access to you and repeating the pain. Because the more you are hurt, the more you will hurt other people, especially the ones you love most. Turn to Psalm, uh, the book of Psalm 147. Verse 3. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. God wants to heal you. And in the New Testament, it's pretty obvious. He heals through repentance and forgiveness. It's also in the Old Testament talking about forgiving. 
And there's a third way we find healing from pain. If the pain isn't someone attacked you directly, it's just general, this world is crazy, it's chaotic, and it hurts you because of illnesses and financial chaos and whatever you're going through in this life. You can't point a finger at a person and say they're the problem. It's just life is hurting you. Then the answer to that is faith. Trusting that God is a sovereign. Trusting that God has a much bigger plan than your small, limited, mortal life on this earth. Trusting that God knows and that God loves you and that God's plan, although you cannot understand, is better than yours. Faith. Trust in God. God wants to heal your broken heart. If your broken heart, if your pain is due to your own sins, repent. If your pain is due to the sins of others, forgive. And then choose carefully who you trust in the future. Choose carefully how much access you give them to your life in the future. But if your pain is just due to the curse of this world, faith. Keep your eyes on Christ and understand He knows you, he loves you, he has a plan. But let me tell you this, adults, let me tell you this, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles. If you do not address the pain and hurting in your life, it will only lead to deeper and deeper trauma. The world today calls it mental health, which is usually a negative thing, right? You can have positive mental health, but usually when it's mentioned, it's mentioned as a negative. It will only lead to negative mental health problems. And when you are struggling with your mental health, you will find it almost impossible to raise children effectively. You're going to hurt them. You're going to scream at them. You're going to yell at them. You're going to not discipline them. You're going to abuse them verbally and physically. Well, we don't abuse our children. We only spank them. Yeah, but if you spank them in anger, screaming and yelling, then it's abuse. It's not discipline. Well, I don't spank my children. I just correct them verbally. Yeah, but if you're screaming at their face... It's not correction, it's abuse. I don't care what form it is. If it's done in anger, it is abuse. And I'll tell you, if you are hurt, your correction is a whole lot more likely to be done in anger than it is in love. Because here's the thing about being hurt. Even the weakest in this room, I'm just saying, even the weakest of us here, uh, if you were to be uh, slapped on your hand, you'd be like, what is wrong with you? you know, but you wouldn't be screaming in pain, right? No big deal, slapped in your hand. You think, that's weird. Why would you do that? But if you broke your finger, even the strongest of you, if you were slapped on your hand, would now at least, at the least, wince in pain, if not outright scream. Why? What's the difference? The difference isn't your lack of strength. The difference is the amount of pain So when you are in more pain, it doesn't really matter how strong you are, the pain hurts. And now almost any touch on that pain hurts, let alone a slap on it. And I got to tell you, if you have kids, you know this. Kids will slap your emotions regularly, right? Regularly. And it's not even on purpose. They'll just poke and slap and prod your emotions on a regular basis And if you are emotionally in pain, then any amount of poking, prodding, especially slapping and kicking of your emotions, is going to hurt. And when what is hurt gets hurt again, when what is tender gets hurt again, your fleshly human response is screaming and yelling in pain. Usually at the one who hurt you, which is going to be your children, your spouse, because they have the most access to your life. And if you are hurt, they're the ones who will poke and prod you the most. 
and they were the ones that will hurt you the most if you're already hurt. Deal with your pain and stop screaming at your family. Number three, parents who feel rejected will often act out and confuse the family. What does that mean, rejected? If you do not feel confident in your position as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, if you do not feel confident in the place you have in God's family, if you feel like no one loves you, no one wants you, maybe you feel that way because you've been abandoned, rejected by those who you loved in the past, a parent, a spouse, maybe you've been rejected by a child, maybe an adult child has turned their back on you. If you feel rejected, if you feel unwanted, if you feel unloved, if you feel unworthy in the position God has given you, then likely, I'm not going to guarantee it, but likely you're going to act out. What does that mean, acting out? Well, you're going to say and do things that don't make sense. You're going to say and do things that, that, that shouldn't be said or done. Why? Because you are always second-guessing yourself. it's also attached to this idea of being hurt. You know, you're going to lash out in anger. And if you're rejected, obviously you're going to be hurt if you've been rejected. But it's bigger than that. If you feel a constant sense of rejection, then you're going to be looking for a constant way to be accepted. And I have found, by the way, oftentimes the human characteristics are displayed in their purest form in middle schoolers. Meaning like there's no filter for a 6th or 8th grader. So what you see in an adult is there, but it's blatantly there in a middle schooler, right? So if you look at a 6th or 8th grader, the, the ones who are confident are the ones when they tell a joke, whether people laugh or not, it doesn't faze them. They told it. They thought it was funny. That's all they cared about. I thought it was funny. I don't care what you think, right? When you look at a middle schooler who tells a joke who's telling it for other people and cares, you'll see the nervous smile, the nervous laugh. They'll make fun of themselves if no one laughs. You'll see a student... A child who is unsure of themselves is the one who is most likely to speak up out loud in class with friends and just say stupid things. They are so unsure of themselves, they want to be accepted, but they don't know what that looks like, so they're just like shotgun effect. They'll just say whatever and do whatever and see what, see what helps, see what sticks. And a lot of moms and a lot of dads who aren't confident that God has accepted them, they're unsure if they've been accepted by their family, are not going to be saying and doing things that bring help to the family. They're going to be saying and doing things that in this parent's head, hopefully, will bring acceptance to them. So their priorities are all. The priorities of this parent aren't what's best for the child or the spouse. The priorities of this traumatized parent who feels rejected will be in the back of their head, at least indirectly, what can I say and do so people will love me? What can I say and do so people will accept me? Now, they'll act out. They'll do and say things that just don't make sense, and they'll just bring confusion to the family, bring confusion to the kids. It's this idea of a a teacher, a coach, a parent who who feels unloved, who feels rejected, so they want to feel uh, accepted and loved by children, and so they start acting like a child to gain the attention and approval of the child. You ever seen that? You ever seen a coach on the basketball field where they essentially in the huddle or whatever, uh, you know, a basketball court or the, or the football field in the huddle all the time before and after practice? It's almost like they're one of the team, not in a good way. Like they're a, they're a teenager, the way they treat the teenagers and the way the teenagers treat the coach and the way the coach allows them to be treated. 
that coach probably feels pretty, um, pretty rejected, and they're just looking for someone to care about them, even if it's a child, even if it's a teenager. So they will do and say things that don't make sense because an adult shouldn't be saying and doing those things. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. If this is your trauma, if you feel rejected, if you feel unloved, I'm sorry, verse 19, excuse me. What is it that can help eliminate this trauma? We love him because he first loved us. If you are not feeling confident in your position as a parent, then I would say you need to start back at square run as a Christian and gain your confidence in your relationship with Christ. Because I'll tell you this, it is very possible your children can and will reject you. So if that's where you're looking for acceptance, you're going to probably be hurt. It is very possible that at some point your spouse can and will reject you, reject something you've said, something you've done, maybe something you are. They're human. They could do that. You know who will never reject you? God. God will never reject you. If you're losing confidence, the best place to go is God, always, every time. God says, I love you. And the only reason you love me is because I loved you first. So if you remember and recognize that God loves you first, you can regain that confidence that was lost. And then, knowing that you're always accepted by God, you can then restart your relationship with the people God has placed in your life. Number four, parents who feel alone will often cry out and discourage the family. This is a bigger idea of just being rejected because some parents, some spouses know that they were loved, but they have an emotional, deep feeling of, you might say, depression, a deep feeling of aloneness. Even though their head tells them one thing, they feel something different. If they are feeling alone, they will constantly cry out for companionship. Cry out, I need. Cry out, I, I, I have to have. Cry out to the children. Mom, Dad, uh, can I go to my friend's house? No, no, I need you here tonight. I'm not feeling good. How, why is it the child's responsibility to be there so the parent doesn't feel alone? And yet there's a whole lot of families out there that's exactly what's going on. The children are not allowed out of the house, not for the safety of the children, but for the emotional support of the parent. That parent feels alone. You know, uh, it, it can happen in a lot of scenarios, but it, it happens in often a relationship where um, the one spouse is uh, a workaholic, not home often, and so the, the other spouse feels alone and wants to fill that void with their children, the presence of their children. And so now the child is forced to take on the responsibility that they were not designed to carry. The child is forced to fulfill a relationship that is not healthy for a child to fulfill. This, the, the only void that should be filled for an adult and their loneliness should be by other adults or God, right? Otherwise, we got a problem. If an adult feeling alone needs to fill that void with a child, that's a problem. I mean, right alone, right away, it sounds awkward just hearing it, right? That an adult 
who's alone would want to fill that void with a child. It's awkward to hear that. It's awkward to say that. Why? Because that's not how children were designed. That's not why God designed them. And they need to grow in their own health, not hindered by your lack of growth in that area. Adults, fill that void with other adults. More importantly, fill it with God. But what about when it's your own children? Is it any better? I mean, we know it would be a horrible thing. I mean, it's called grooming in a sense when an adult is treating a child like an adult for any reason in any way, right? That's not healthy for the child or the adult. How is it any better just because it's your child? How is it okay just because they belong to you that it's okay that you as an adult feel so lonely you're going to use your children to fill that void? At some point, the child's going to recognize that, and when they do, it's going to crush their world. First of all, they won't be able to see you as the strong leader because they'll know you've displayed weakness in a very important area that they need you, that, 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 the, that the adult needs the child more than the child needs an adult. It, that's a mixed-up relationship. When the child starts thinking, my mom and my dad need me more than I need them, that's a really big problem. And whatever else you do as a parent isn't going to fix that problem. Now, how could a child know that by the things the parent says? Literally saying, you can't go anywhere. I need you here with me tonight. Mommy, mommy needs you with her. Daddy, dad, uh, dad feels lonely tonight, right? Dad needs you at home tonight. Whatever. You literally say it. But you don't have to say it because as a child gets older, you say other things that lead to that same conclusion for them. You're crying out for companionship. Don't look for that from a child. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. So what is the response? Well, if you noticed, we keep turning to God, right? These responses keep going back to God. Well, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Again, back to God. God is saying, stop looking to people to fill that void. If they're not going to do it, then look to me. It's not that you can't look to adults. I have a wife. I love her. She's my, my best friend. It's a great thing to have an adult who is your best friend and can support you and be there when you're lonely. If you've got that, you are blessed. If you don't have that, don't look for it in children, even your own. Stop it. Look for it in God. Let children be children. Children need you. Do not ever let them think that you need them in that, in that sense. Because at some point, your child needs to leave. At some point, your child has to grow up. And if you've been for the last 5, 10, 15 years using them to fill that void of loneliness, what's going to happen when they leave, if you even let them leave? I've talked to a lot of young men and young women over the years. They hit uh, the high school age, 18, 19. I said, so where are you going to go? What are you going to do? And, and I can't tell you how many times I have had this conversation and, and a similar answer. I, I don't know. My parents don't want me going anywhere. In some form, in some way, that's their answer. My parents won't let me leave the state. My parents won't let me leave the town. One kid said, I don't, I don't, my parents won't let me leave the house. Literally. I mean, he was with me, so obviously at some point the mom let him leave. But, but you know, literally, like he was saying, I, I can't even move out of the house. I can't move out of the house, the city, the state. 
How could that be? I can tell you how that could be. It's this problem right here. This parent has trauma. Their trauma is they feel alone, and they have filled that void with their children. And now their child's not allowed to grow up and to be the man or woman God wants them to be. That child has to be the void filler for this lonely parent. What a shame. Trauma affecting our kids. The last one today, and we'll be done. Parents who feel unqualified. <laughs> now, let me explain that. It means they don't know what they're doing. Like, I, I, uh, I, I don't deserve to be a parent. I never learned how to be a parent. No one taught me how to be a parent. My parents were uh, clueless. I couldn't learn from them, so I'm clueless. I'm just, you know, the cluelessness was passed on. I'm just winging it here, right? I'm faking it till I make it, but I'll never make it, so I keep faking it. All right, so this clueless, unqualified parent will often give out. What does that mean? They're just going to spoil their family. Well, if I don't know how to parent, maybe I'll just spoil them to love me. Maybe I'll spoil them and, and become their, their best friend because I give them more than anyone else. This parent doesn't know what to do, so they're hoping they can bribe their children to success. Bribe their children to obedience. Bribe their children to good behavior. You know what bribes do? corrupts the heart. I say that, you know, it's funny because, you know, in school and church, you could say in a sense we bribe the kids, right? The, the quiet seat contest, I mean, that's essentially a bribe. Whoever's the quietest gets a prize at the end, so we kind of do that to a, a certain level. But look, on a regular basis at home, constantly from the parent, the child's heart is going to be corrupted. The child will now view everything through the lens of what do I get out of it? You've trained the child that if you're good, you get some tangible reward. If you, if you do the chores that are expected of you because you're a human being that lives in this house, you threw your clothes on the ground, but if you pick up your own dirty clothes, you'll get a reward. I'm not talking about allowances. I get the idea of allowances. I'm not saying there's anything unbiblical about that. I'm talking about bribery for everything the child does. When you are bribing the child... The child views himself and everyone else and everything that child does through the lens of what do I get out of it? You've corrupted the child. Parent, do not, do not bribe the children in your life, whether your own or someone else's. The occasional, hey, good job, let's get some ice cream. It's not that um, you bribe the child. It's an act of love saying, I'm proud of you. Let's do this together. You know, be careful how you word it, how you phrase it. And I wouldn't get them ice cream every time they do the same thing because in that sense, now they're going to expect, if I do this, I get ice cream, right? So change it up. There are times where my kids don't get anything. They just do what they do. In fact, that's more often than not. They do what they do because they live in our house and they're part of the problem of the mess. They're going to be part of the solution of the cleaning. That's just how it is at our house. Do we buy our kids ice cream? Yeah. Do we buy our kids toys and gifts? Sure. But often it's attached to, I do this because I love you. Not attached to, I'm doing this because of the work you did. That does happen. On occasion, my wife will say, all right, hey, I've got some extra chores, extra stuff to do. I'll give you a dollar. I mean, we're, t- we're cheap in our family, you know. How far does a dollar? doesn't even buy a candy bar today. <laughs> I'll give you a dollar. But to my kids, that's a big deal to them. They'd save up the dollars so that they got four, and now they can do something with it. So my wife, you know, I'll give you a dollar to clean the dishes on an off day. It doesn't happen often. But look, when, it, when that's all the time, when you're bribing your kids all the time, you're, you're going to taint them. So parents, if you, you are bribing your kids, one of two things is going on. You are lazy, 
And so you just think the most effective ways to pay your kids to do everything, you're being lazy, lazy parenting, or it's this, in my opinion, you just don't feel like you know what you're doing. So you hope and you are thinking this is the best way. I can tell you, from experiencing a lot of spoiled children, it is not the best way. You do not want a spoiled child. They will rock your world and not in a good way. So John chapter 14, the Apostle John, uh, the Gospel of John, excuse me, the Gospel of John chapter 14. Verse 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I said unto you. If you're feeling unqualified as a parent, the best thing to do is to get educated. Stop hoping for the best, wishing for the best, doing whatever comes to your head and thinking it's going to work out, get educated. Educate yourself as a parent. How should parenting look? What should I do? What do my children need? And the best place to go is the Bible. Are there other good books out there to read? Of course there are. The best ones are the ones whose foundation is also in the Bible. God has much to say about the human condition, about the human heart. God has much to say about sin, righteousness, judgment, correction, redirection, much to say. But God is also a fantastic example of a father to children and how that should look. Educate yourself, parent. Stop destroying your children through bribes and find out what real parenting looks like. And you can do that by continuing to come back here as we go through this series over the next three months at least, if not past. The next few months, continuing this topic on what real-world parenting looks like and as how we as adults can be successful in working with the children God has placed in our lives. Let's pray.